Uh, Cash Heed's joining us, former public safety minister and former West Vancouver police chief on top of that. Mr. Heed, thank you for being with us. Good afternoon, Jody. What were your takeaways from Mayor Kennedy Stewart's uh, press briefing? Very disappointing. Instead of seizing the opportunity here and implementing police reform, driving police reform, showing uh, the leadership we need, all we got was finger pointing. Jody, we're talking about another review. The reviews that we've done in this province are overwhelming with little benefit. We had Opal, who did this just in 1984, with, I believe it was uh, 70 some odd recommendations. We've had Josiah Wood look at oversight with 83 recommendations. We had missing women's. We've had audits of police departments. We've had, uh, or we have right now, another inquiry going on. Instead of driving change, and local governments can drive the change, Mr. Stewart does not understand the advent of policing in Canada, whereas under the Constitution Act, the authority is delegated to the provinces to oversee policing, and the province under the Police Act actually delegates that authority to municipalities, and then it oversees the process. That is just a web that is hard for the taxpaying citizen to even really digest. I have to be frank. Like the the bouncing ball, like at at the end of the day, something has to give and it has to start somewhere. So where, in your opinion, must this start? Where do we actually see the first domino of not let's put it to review or, or do another study on it? Where do we actually begin to find a way to make the change necessary to remove racism from our our police forces right now i was hoping that it would be driven by local independent municipal police agencies and police leadership but we're not seeing that happen we're seeing the politicization of this where in fact it's going back to the province when it goes back to the province we're going to be waiting it needs to start right now i can tell you with city council the vancouver police board and the chief of police of vancouver if they want significant changes Delegating this to the province to do, we are going to be waiting for quite some time. So instead of seizing the opportunity, instead of implementing police reform, instead of dealing with this model of policing that's not serving the functions the way the community wants it to be, we are passing the buck and we're going to be waiting and waiting. And Jody, we're going to get more of the same. I can promise you we're going to get more of the same at the taxpayer expense. There's only one taxpayer, and the taxpayers are going to be paying out their nose again for this instead of implementing what needs to be implemented so the police are not called in the first instance. And it needs to be stated, I believe, that our forces are an amazing team of people. There are some incredibly hardworking police officers that are dealing with not just a pandemic, but as we said off the top of the show, an overdose crisis is a secondary health emergency or a a one in one a emergency where the, the people on the front lines, our police officers are on the front lines and dealing with that. And, and here they now have the next level of sort of being lumped in with the, the anger and the vitriol that's being put back at the U S police forces, like we're very different north of the border and south of the border, not to say that we don't have systemic issues here, certainly that need to be addressed. And that's the impetus of us having this conversation. But but just to state like the very difference, and maybe if you could, uh, given that you were the uh, West Vancouver police chief and you were the former uh, public safety minister, you've walked this walk, you've walked this beat. How do we differ? How do forces here differ than those south of the border, the the makeup and, and how the training 
is, is put together, how people are onboarded here. Let's take the Vancouver Police Department as the example, because we're speaking about the Vancouver mayor. Well, we have a very contemporary police model here in Canada. However, it has its issues. And we're influenced a lot by what's taking place in the United States, not only uh, with our police departments, but certainly some of our other characters we have out there. So what we need to do is ensure that we continuously analyze what we're doing to test its effectiveness on what the community wants. If we can get back to that era of community policing, we are going to be better off. And how you do this is through recruiting the right people, training people in a different way, supervising them, having the discipline that's required, and ensuring that we have policies in place that actually work. So I would call on the uh, city, and the mayor made a comment about the council has no uh, authority power here, which is absolutely ridiculous. I would count on council since the mayor is not going to drive the change, for council to drive the change, I'd count on the police board to do what they're supposed to do as a governing body for a police agency, not deflecting it to an elected body. But isn't Mayor Kennedy Stewart the chair of the police board? He is. He wears both hats. So all we have here basically is what Kennedy Stewart wanted at the end of the day. And that's to deflect it to someone else to deal with, which which is so unfortunate for the people we serve because Those officers that are out there each and every shift making a difference in the community now have to wonder what what is going on here instead of supporting them, doing the good things that these officers are doing and really ensuring we have proper funding into those areas rather than just deflecting it off to someone else to look at it for us. And that hits on a really important point, I think. Only one minute to go here, but at the, the point of funding, like just, what, two weeks ago was the budget for the VPD cut? It feels like there's a real disconnect in, in what needs to happen, what should be happening uh, to move forward in the best possible way to serve the taxpayer, to serve the community, to care for citizens. Completely. I think there's so miss in step with what needs to be done that I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Hopefully the premier will take some leadership here and sort this out because we're not getting it from the city. All right. Well, we really appreciate your insight into this. Thank you for uh, being available on short notice. My pleasure. Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. I was mentioning off the top of the program, stark new numbers being released by BC Coroner Services on illicit drug toxicity, deadly changes to the drug supply during the first months of 2020, specifically during COVID-19. Our fentanyl crisis has spiked. Joining me now is Andy Watson, Manager of Strategic Communications for BC Coroner Services. Andy, thank you. I'm sorry for the issues trying to connect. I'm so glad we could uh, we could get together here on short notice. No, and thanks so much for having me. It's such an important topic. And uh, yeah, the tech tech gods weren't with us earlier, but I'm glad we got to connect uh, at this point. So educate us, educate me, educate our listener. What are, I mean, this is a heady report. I've printed it all off. I've been diving through it, but boy, it's just pit of your stomach when you look at these numbers. There's no denying. I mean, more people are dying of overdose deaths, overdose death during this pandemic than than COVID-19 by a huge margin in BC. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it certainly shows. It's a. It's a. A, a very so uh, startling reminder that we are very much still in the midst of this public health crisis, and I think compounded by. 
the fact that we've also had uh, you know challenges with COVID-19 and 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 a dual health emergency. Um, but what our data shows uh, through to the end of May uh, is a sharp increase in illicit drug toxicity deaths, um, uh, and we've seen a trend of that for the last three months, really since the pandemic uh, arrived in British Columbia. Uh, this month, we reported 170 illicit drug toxicity deaths based on our preliminary data, and we know, uh, generally speaking, that those numbers usually go up as other uh, testing results come in. So uh, this is the highest uh, month on total for illicit drug deaths um, in, in BC history. And I think it really does signal, you know, we've all, we've all got to take a look at what we can do to try and help advocate for access to safe supply and look to what we can uh, do uh, collectively as society to help people with addiction and people who use drugs. And, and certainly, you know, more than 500 British Columbians already have died from illicit drug deaths in, uh, in 2020 alone. And, uh, you know, everyone is impacted by this crisis, everyone in B.C., across the province, and, and certainly, uh, you know, I think there's a story that we all have now of somebody that we know or, um, you know, maybe somebody even in our own family, in our own tight circle. And it's it's just really, you know, it's heartbreaking to know that this is happening and, and we continue to look for opportunities of, of what we can do to try and uh, improve things for, for those that are using drugs and, and looking at access to safe supply and, and harm reduction. And the safe su- supply is a big piece here because during COVID-19 with the borders shut down, the, the drug supply has evolved and changed over the last just few months, has it not? Yeah, what we've seen in our, and we have our partners at the BC Centre, uh, Toxicology Centre, and they, anytime we have a, a suspected illicit drug death, uh, we will order post-mortem toxicology testing. So it will take a look at what is in a, a decedent's um, system in terms of uh, the blood and urine samples. And one of the things that we have seen um, for April and May are, are what we would define as extreme fentanyl concentrations. And so that basically is a level of fentanyl that has been detected um that that is significant and it's higher than what we've seen in previous months and so it's something we're monitoring closely uh, it's a sign obviously that the drug supply here in BC particularly since uh, the covid pandemic started um we know that the drug supply in in our provinces is, is unpredictable and we know it's highly toxic and and you've heard from our partners you know we continue to advocate for people not to use alone so buddy up, um, have a system. If you can, use at a supervised consumption or overdose prevention site and or have your drugs checked before using that. That's a message we're trying to share. But we know COVID created uh, challenges, um, you know, reduced hours or in some cases shutdowns of, of uh, overdose or supervised consumption sites. Um, uh, just, you know, some of it was related to the uh, the inability to socially distance. Some of it was related to staffing. Um, and we also know that more people are at home right now. And certainly our data shows, um, you know, steady levels of people who are dying at uh, at home or in private residences. And anecdotally, we know that many of those people are dying using alone. And um, it comes back to our message that we really want to get out there is that in order to really help folks that have root causes of addiction, we need to look at innovative ways to create access to safe supply and and look at what we can do really across the continuum uh, for supportive treatment and recovery systems uh, in terms of death prevention. And really, that's the, the, the mantra of the coroner's service. We investigate all sudden and unexpected deaths with the aim to try and prevent deaths in similar circumstances. And so by sharing this data today, we're, we're hoping to have, you know, create these conversations and I think really shine a spotlight back on this crisis because more than four years in now, um, you know, it, it is disappointing to see that number go up. 
We're with Andy Watson, who's the manager of strategic communications with BC Coroner's Service. And one of the notes that really jumps out for me, given what you just stated with regard to how COVID-19 and the pandemic had shut down safe injection sites or uh, overdose prevention uh, options for those who specifically uh, on the downtown east side or in marginalized areas uh, looking to buddy up but having no one. Uh, could go there. Uh, the stat that says that no deaths have been reported at supervised consumption or drug overdose prevention sites, none. Yeah, and we know, we continue to know that those sites are working. And, you know, one of the one of the challenges is that they may not work for everyone. And so that's why we have been looking at other solutions. Um, something that came out um, in May, there was a new app launched by the Provincial Health Services Authority. It's called Lifeguard. And basically, it's designed to help people who are using drugs, they can start a timer on their app. And if they don't respond to that timer after a certain period of time after they've started to uh, either inject or inhale the drugs that they're using, um, there's a method for that to summon emergency services to help them out. So, you know, we have seen some innovation during this time, but it still highlights that piece around the danger of using alone. Because knowing the drug supply is toxic, if somebody is using and comes across a bad batch, that then turns into uh, a situation where they don't have somebody there to either administer naloxone and or call 911 for help. So, uh, again, we know that the supervised consumption and overdose prevention sites have been highly effective because they've had someone there if toxic supplies is found or if there's an adverse uh, reaction, but also the drug checking services that were in place, uh, you know, we know that they've been highly effective too. So, uh, again, it's it's just, you know, the complications of a dual health emergency, it's certainly, um, you know, it's created challenges and, it, and it's something that we're going to have to continue to look at. And uh, I'm hopeful that uh, we'll, we'll facilitate some good discussions today, but but certainly this is troubling news. It is indeed, and I know you're in high demand today, so I'll just slide in one more question, if I may. This is not just a Metro Vancouver issue. This is a British Columbia issue. Looking at that map and the, the highlights uh, associated with the number of uh, uh, illicit drug-related deaths was quite jarring. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the things that we've seen, you know, when this crisis really started, we were seeing it primarily in urban centres and and certainly, you know, the gateway uh, ports, um, you know, City of Vancouver, City of Victoria, Surrey were highly represented in the data. But now as we monitor over time the the per 100,000 or the per capita data, we've seen some fairly significant increases in the interior year over year, Um, almost uh, 10 more deaths per 100,000 in the interior so far this year. The north has seen that. Um, about the same level. Um, certainly South Vancouver Island, we're seeing a fairly significant increases from Duncan South. So it is impacting all British Columbians. It's uh, impacting every health service delivery area. And certainly, um, you know, we know that fentanyl continues to be uh, the main culprit here um, and has essentially replaced heroin in terms of what we're, we're detecting here in, in the drug supply. And so we, we continue to look to see what we can do to try and create the systems that need to be in place and working with all of our partners to to identify solutions, but but certainly uh, three months in a row with more than 100 illicit drug deaths and that new high total today of 170 that we're reporting out for, to the end of May. Uh, again, it's uh, it's saddening and it's deeply frustrating. It's a shocking number. 5.5 deaths per day in 2020 is 5.5 deaths too many. Andy Watson trying to save lives here. Do not use alone. Spread that word. As, as Andy mentioned, we all know someone now who's lost someone or we've all lost someone. So we can help by getting the message out to not 
use alone. Don't hide the addiction. Be open so that we can help save lives. Andy, thank you for doing this. Jody, thanks so much for the time. And, and again, if you know somebody that is experiencing addiction, uh, have a conversation with them, share these details with them and remind them of that key message of not using alone. Uh, we, we don't want to be reporting out another uh, high total for June. Thanks again, Jody. And if it might make some guys cringe a bit, just stay with me here because it could save your life. I'm not kidding. During a pandemic, you know, prostate cancer still lurks and the Canadian Cancer Society really wants us all to spread the word about the need for guys. We love to get checked. It's easier than you think. You can help with getting this message out in a really super fun way. And our next guest is going to explain exactly how. He is an ambassador for prostate cancer awareness. He is the man behind Plaid for Dad. And you know him and you love him. Eric McCormack. Yes, that will of will and grace. And of course, travelers and so many other great things. Uh, Eric (laughs) McCormack joins us on the line. Hello. Hey, neighbor. How you doing? Good. I look forward to bumping into you in the Pacific Spirit Park trees again someday soon as we often trip over one another. Someday when I can come back over the border. I'm calling I know. from Los Angeles because uh, it's not been uh, not been easy, and we uh, we can't we can't quarantine at the moment. So we're quarantined down here. Um, but I this is my fifth year in a row uh, being an ambassador for Plaid for Dad, and so though I'm not there in body, I am there in spirit. We can do it by Zoom. We should do one together. I would be so oh. down with that. Let's get a group together and do this because Plaid for Dad does take on a different role. I was there for your first year. You joined us on Breakfast Television all those years That's ago. Right. And it was it, it it's in a part of my life, as you know, you and I have talked about it. I'm actually a prostate yeah. cancer awareness ambassador. I'm the only woman <laughs> ambassador in Canada. <laughs> But my dad is a prostate cancer survivor, and had he not been tested when I pushed him as hard as I possibly could to do so, he wouldn't still be alive. He is, thankfully. First of all, that's fantastic news. Uh, I lost my dad. um, He had it twice, lost him the second time in 2008. Um, But, but, I mean, that really is, is the point, is about just getting the word out, particularly, as you say, at a time when people aren't going to the doctor every day. People have been staying home. And so uh, guys who rarely go and get their checkups, um, that's happening even less. So all the more reason for everybody across the country on behalf of your dads and your brothers and your sons, uh, on June 19th, wear something plaid. This is never a hardship for Canadians. There's something in your, there's something (laughs) in your closet that is plaid or otherwise just get out of the country. You, you, you have to prove you're Canadian this by bringing out the, the plaid thing you have, put it on, take a picture well, like with your family or if you're back in a, in a working situation with your coworkers. And just it's about posting it on social media, hashtag plaid for dad. This is two days before Father's Day. And not only is this going to raise a lot of, uh, of awareness and conversation, which is crucial to keep it in, in the chat, but um, also uh, the monies will be, will be uh, contributed um, by some of our, our sponsors, um, for every for every picture that you see, um, the uh, Janssen, the uh, the company Janssen, they're sort of our official sharing is caring partner. They're going to give money to uh, five dollars for every shot. Um, so wow, it's, it's five a bucks. To raise money, yeah. Uh, but I mean, so if if everyone in Canada 
posted a shot wearing some plaid. Um, that's some good money and really good uh, awareness on, on a couple of days before we celebrate our dads. Okay, let's just go over this again. So June 19th is the Friday before Father's Day. That's when we're doing it. We need to do it on June 19th. We're going to put on our fill-in-the-blank dinner jacket, our Mac jackets we call Ladner dinner jackets. That's plaid enough, right? <laughs> We could rock that. Uh, get your plaid, yeah. put it on, take a selfie, or do a Zoom call with your team. I like this idea. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna rally yeah. uh, my Zoom call girls, like, because when we're doing five o'clock somewhere, um, I'm not gonna tell you what time that happens. Five o'clock somewhere <laughs> happens on Zoom, and if we all wear plaid on that Friday, snap the picture, and each of us posts it. I mean, we could exactly. raise a significant amount of money. Significant amount of money, and also just like I say, I just I love. The awareness. I, I love that it's it, it just for one day. We know, we, we know now the power uh, of social media, particularly after the last few weeks, of just getting the conversation going. And if just for a few hours uh, on, on that day, everyone in, in Canada can focus on this thing. I mean, like one in nine Canadian men are diagnosed with prostate cancer at some point, and we lose 11 of them a day. And, wow. and almost more than any other cancer, this one can be 100% uh, beaten with early detection. Uh, it's, okay, it's in, that, the, the survival rate's incredible as long as we get guys out there and, and nothing better than to have the other people in our lives pushing us to do that. So wear some plaid, take some pictures, hashtag plaid for dad, and also uh, plaidfordad.ca is the website. You can learn more about it and put a team together, a fundraising team, which is another great way that uh, we're going to raise money for research. It's all about research and one of the greatest um, um, prostate cancer research facilities is in Vancouver. It's it's truly remarkable what you what you just sort of summarized there. The fact that this is such a treatable form of cancer and it, yeah. it, it it's the testing, the old way of testing that I think freaks out so many. And and how, you know, women when when women talk about mammograms we're talking about that over coffee. We're talking about that while we're, you know, with the kids at the playground. We're like, so did you get right. the squish lately? Like what? Guys are not like that typically, right? So how do we start that conversation with the men in our lives without having them go, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, let's just put it this way. At this way, at this point, there's no other way. Uh, for guys that have put it off, particularly once you've hit 50, you've got to go to your doctor. It's quick. And uh, and if your doctor uh, has done this more than once, you know, you know what he's looking for. It's very quick, but it, it, you can you can buy yourself the rest of your life. You 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 can't afford not to do this regularly, just like women uh, can't afford not to to get their mammograms and their right. pap smears and everything else. These are the things we have to do. And and pretty soon uh, we'll probably be doing it with with COVID. We'll be getting tested all the time. And I've had the nasal swab, and it's no fun, but it's brief. And it is uh, a tremendous relief to know that you don't have something. But even more important, if you are, if you catch prostate cancer early, you can, you can save your life, save your own life. So don't uh, you don't have to talk about don't shy away with the guy. Yeah, you still have to go. You still have to go. And if you if you have it as part of your your regular checkup, uh, you can get the blood test as well. You can have the simple blood right. work done before there are any symptoms that and, and and maybe we should lay out what some of the some of the symptoms are because guys uh, want to hide. Uh, we I shouldn't even put it on guys. Everybody wants to be in denial, but you are your best 
advocate for your wellness, for your best self, for your health. And if you are, what, run into the washroom uh, more than you should be, that's tell number one, would it be? Sure. And, and there, but I, I would, have always said, don't wait for symptoms. This is not one where you have to wait for symptoms. Right, um, right. If, you know, if you're 50 or older, you should be doing this immediately. And if your doctor says, you're sure, fine, come back and see you, whatever, listen to your doctor. But That's this should right. be just a regular thing. Don't wait for anything else other than just um, the desire to, to catch this early. Did you have to get tested before you were 50 because of your dad's diagnosis? Um, I think I was. Um, not, it wasn't a blood test, but yeah, I, I was very yeah. aware of, of it being in the family. My mother uh, died of bladder cancer, so uh, there's, there's cancer to be, to be anticipated. And so uh, it's just about early detection um, and, and not fooling yourself that... Um, You'll be the one that skips. There's, there's just, it's, it's really, really important to be uh, on it. All right. We're with Eric McCormick. You know him. You love him. Will from Will and Grace. You're watching Travelers. We're binge watching everything that you've ever been in because we love you so much, Eric. I want to talk to you about what, how things are in Los Angeles. But first, let me just double down on Plaid for Dad. Um, it's June 19th. We're going to put on plaid. We're going to take a selfie or a group shot of us wearing plaid. Then we're going to put it on social media, hashtag plaid for dad. And we're going to raise awareness and raise money towards a very treatable form of cancer in prostate cancer. Yes? Absolutely. Across the country, if every Canadian, even just even if you just put on plaid for 10 minutes and take a photo and just tweet it out, hashtag plaid for dad, it's going to, it's going to make a big difference. It can help. Okay, I want to know, how are you? How's the family? How, how are things in California um, with regard to COVID-19, the pandemic? What is, what is life like for the McCormicks? Uh, well, it was very strange off the top, um, doubly, because the day, uh, the day that it was finally announced as, an, as a national emergency here, uh, I broke my ankle. So I, I was laid up for six weeks Anyway, it was sort of strange. It was like, like the whole world uh, at the same time decided, well, he broke his ankle. We might, I guess this is as we gotta feel his pain. a pandemic. So, um, so it, was, it was doubly strange, to, and I felt um, a little helpless, and my wife was doing all the work. Um, but it, look, on the flip side, it, it's, been, it's been amazing to be um, together. I mean, it's just, we're all so busy. My son's uh, about to turn 18 on Canada day. And, um, and so he's, he has a busy life. I had a busy life. And suddenly the, the three of us uh, were spending a lot more time together. Uh, and, and that part's been great. He hasn't of course gone back to school like anyone uh, in the States or, or in Canada, but, but this, he's done very well in the whole zoom. It's, it's a third trimester's all been zoom. And, and I've got to listen to that. My wife and I will sort of sneak by and hear school in a way that we haven't heard in 12 years. So um, good things came of it. But in terms of, uh, of the rest of it, we're all, we're all getting all squirrely like, like everybody else. Looking forward to a little uh, time and really looking forward to getting back to Vancouver whenever that makes sense. 
Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed that you can do that as soon as possible because we are hearing rumblings that that productions are going to start gearing up yet again. We certainly heard that here from our premier, John Horgan, just yesterday. Yeah. Uh, he was speaking to that. But of course, there is a quarantine element that's associated with that, not just for those in front of the camera, but for anybody. So it is just a little bit more of a slog, I guess, to try and get things rolling in what is already a, 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 an industry that that tries to cut every possible corner to put the all the money into the production value as opposed to, you know, let's put everybody up in a hotel for two weeks first. Right. I mean, all, all the rules are, are going to have to change and we're, we're just going to have to be smart and and not skimp. I mean, we can see, you know, if you're watching the United States, there's, there's just a, there's a rush to pretend like this is all fine now and it never happened. And it's just, it's going yeah. to be disastrous. So I'm, I am all for taking baby steps. I'm all for getting back, and and I would love to be shooting in, in something in Vancouver before the year is over. But but uh, it's going to be just crucial that we're safe and smart. What's next on your agenda? What are you, well, it's, what are you memorizing uh, now? When, uh, when, uh, when, when we finished Will Grace in December, so I was yes. already I'd already come up with a couple of. Uh, of pitches and, and created a few show ideas that um, we're in negotiations for uh, with, I can't say just yet, honestly, because they're, okay. they're still in negotiation, but things that um, one of which I designed exclusively for Vancouver, because uh, that's where I want to be shooting. So um, that's my hope is that that one uh, goes that we, that we create a pilot there. Um, and um, just another show idea I've been kicking around that isn't entirely meant for Canadian television that is still uh, in its infancy. But that's my real hope. But what's next for me, probably, uh, <laughs> particularly if November 3rd does not go very well, uh, <laughs> my future is uh, and my family's future will be back in the motherland of Canada. Come home, Eric McCormick. I, did, I purposely I have been like sh- shying away from the politics because you and I could probably go for hours on just the, the chaos yep. surrounding that. But I, instead, because we've got enough heavy news going on, you just said you yep. finished, you wrapped uh, the final, 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 second time around final, uh, Will and Grace in December. What was that experience yep. like for you? We watch it. We love it. I could rewatch it all again on a binge for those who have not consumed Will and Grace, uh, even like the first uh, cycle, if you will, is is oh, yeah. so relevant and funny. And oh my gosh, we just need that escape right now. How hard was it for you to say goodbye to all that? Um, you know, the, the, when I think of saying goodbye to it, it was 2006 that we did that. So, and nobody right. had heard the word reboot in 2006. It, it was, we, we said our goodbyes and I never thought I'd be that guy again. And mm. to get to have been Will Truman for three more seasons, um, but but more seasoned, uh, ha- having lived another ten years of life, having uh, a child, um, I just I was able to bring so much more to it. I was able to appreciate it more every single day. And so this time goodbye was was not quite so um, offhanded or 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 desperate. It was somewhere in between. It was like I can um, I can say goodbye to this. Uh, knowing that I I had a real second shot at love, which you don't usually get, certainly with with, uh, with a character like that. Well, we fell in love with you all over again, and it was so 
amazing to be able to connect with Will Truman again uh, for for this fan. You know, I'm a fan. I've only got like one, two minutes to go here, but the the NHL probably coming back. You're a hockey fan. Your your thoughts on the hub plan? Oh, wait a minute, Jody. You've done most of your research, except that one. I am. No, you're not a hockey fan. I was thrown out of Canada for. uh, Here's the, the great irony. I was born. April 18th, 1963, I was born the night the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. I think it was the second last time that they ever did. Yeah, um, it was. And my, my doctor left the, uh, left the game, delivered me, and went back for the third period at Maple Leaf Gardens. So <laughs> I, you'd think, you'd think it was in my were. blood, but apparently not. No, I did not, uh, I did not get the, the hockey gene. Um, oh, dude, I'm going to check your passport. You know, remember when I like said a, I loved you? Remember? Remember that part? <laughs> I know. Okay, I'm going to turn you. You, yeah, <laughs> you come back sick. to this country, and I'm going to turn you. Thank you for doing this, Eric McCormick. I love you so much. <laughs> My pleasure. You're the oh, best. Thanks, Plaid, I appreciate it. Plaid for Dad, June 19th. Hashtag Plaid for Dad. Take the picture. Wear the plaid. Put it on social media. Make money. Get the guys you love to get. Get all the guys in your life to get checked. Jody Vance in for Jill, and I'm just going through this new order that repeals and replaces the earlier order made by Dr. Bonnie Henry with regard to restaurant rules, the food services establishment and liquor liquor services. And it is a very uh, heady document. I've gotten a few pages in, but I know one someone who's read it from cover to cover, and he joins us now on very short notice. Thank you for being with us, Ian Tostenson. Hi, Jody. How you doing? I want, I'm good. How are you doing? Is this good news? <laughs> yeah, it is good news. So for your listeners, uh, where we were at as of yesterday was that a restaurant could only have 50% of its stated capacity, period. And so if you had 100, uh, a capacity of 100, you could have 50 people maximum and, vice, you know, whatever. So what's, what's happened today, and, it's, and it actually provides some really good flexibility Instead of saying it has to be 50% of your capacity, what the good doctor is saying is that we just simply want you to social distance all the tables. So every table still has to be six feet or two meters apart, but um, you you can increase your capacity beyond 50% and do that, then good on you. So that's, um, that's going to provide some flexibility, particularly as we look at the expansion of patios where they can now spread out their capacity over inside dining and outside dining. Um, the other thing is that we, um, which she's also said, if you can't get six feet between tables, then you can put a plexiglass uh, divider in. And providing is, is a certain height, then that, that's fine too. So that'll help. That'll help some capacity. I'm sure you'd like to own a plexiglass company, right, Jody? <laughs> no kidding. Uh, there are a lot of people scrambling for it. It's like gold right now. I know. And then the other little changes... Um, uh, buffets were not allowed. Buffets are now allowed, uh, providing certain standards and, and uh, hand washing around that. Groups of 50, uh, it's still groups of 50. And in fact, if you have a group of. Whoa, whoa, no, sorry, here. I've got a dog thing going on here. Uh, That's okay. We're all broadcasting 50, from home, Ian. Yeah, it's no okay. Kidding. Yeah, there you go. Live. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you have 50 people and some people leave, you can't add back into the 50. So once they leave, they're gone. And just another sort of, you know, making sure that uh, when you're waiting in line and you're leaving the restaurant that everybody's properly socially distanced. So this is good news. 
It's okay. So what were you to... what you were just saying about? Sorry to interrupt you, but what you were just saying yeah. about fifty people because of the dog fight there. Um, yeah. If there's an event held on the premises, you you yeah. main you, you can have fifty people if they can mit- maintain that fifth that that um, two meters distance from one another. And then if yeah. some people leave, you can't. Okay, five just left, so we can have five more. It's yeah, just five the more, fifty yeah. that it's, right. That's right. You can't backfill it. Yeah. So yeah, this no is in and out so, privileges. I mean, if we get some weather and if we get you know, continue to get the support of the public. Um, you know, we've got some, we're inching back here, however slowly, but it was well received today. It really was. And, um, you know, again, it's very, um, a very well thought out policy by Dr. Henry, but it, it just, all of a sudden you just arrive in your inbox, like at, you know, 930 this morning, like, da-da, here she comes, another, another uh, announcement. But they're really well thought out. They're very well reasoned. And of course, you know, public safety first, at, with an eye on, on getting the economy back to some workable level. It is always good news when Dr. Henry says we can loosen up a little bit here, but it's also quite timely, if I'm not mistaken, Ian, with uh, Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart holding his emergency council meeting about patios. This could Mm -hmm. significantly impact how those parameters, how these next stages and phases might go in Vancouver. As we've seen, um, I I wrote a column about it uh, with a counselor in Delta, uh, Dylan Kruger, and how they've been doing it there with, with basically going to the restaurants and looking at what works and then make it happen. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to do that on the scale in Vancouver, but but perhaps this will be an opportunity to expand more broadly when when you take into consideration that 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 things are loosening a little bit. Well, they are in a responsible way, you know, and restaurants mm-hmm. don't operate, they can't operate unless they're at about 75% capacity. So this is, I don't think this is going to allow us to get to 75%, but it will allow us, that, you know, something. And, um, you know, so maybe if we continue to do a good job, which the industry has been doing, then we can start to inch up a bit more. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, it's, I, I really feel sorry for the restaurant guys. I mean, it's, they're not out of the woods by any means. They've got a whole host of issues. But, you know, I, an announcement like this, it was just like the celebration was like the most amazing thing. It's just like they're just so hopeful of all these little changes that we took for granted, you know, three months ago are going to be really really beneficial. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And we think you're very cool for picking up the phone on, like, minutes notice here, Ian, as always. We appreciate your time. Always, Jody. And I really appreciate you shining a spotlight on our industry. That really helps a lot. Thank you. Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. And uh, have you noticed on your streaming services, if you have HBO, the, the, the extra package uh, that all of a sudden Gone with the Wind is trending? Yeah. Well, frankly, my dear, people are starting to give a damn. I stole that line, just so you know. Of course I did. I want to talk about how HBO Max has decided to pull Gone with the Wind from its service and then give it some uh, context, I guess, before reposting it. Some are just screaming that this is censorship and others are saying this is long past due given the history of this movie. Not the actual content of the movie, but at the premiere of the movie, there's so much to unpack here. So I thought, you know what? Let's call in an expert, Steve Stebbing, who you always hear on The Shift with Drex. He is the film critic from that program. You can also find him at The Steevil Dad. Uh, Steve, thanks for being with us today. Hey, no problem, Jody. We're going to open up the phones on this one. So if you've got an opinion on on Gone with the Wind, uh, whether or not it should be pulled, uh, would you like it to be the equivalent of a movie burned? Um 
or do you think this is ridiculous? There are lots of movies that have uh, content that that reflects on times that are just head shakingly awful or sad beyond. Uh, and 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 in this current temperature, what are we looking at here? So call us 604-280-9898. Are we gone to PC here or is this long overdue? What do you think? 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell phone. And we'll have calls in our next segment. But I want to get your take on this, Steve, because we have mm-hmm. not talked prior to this. I just said to Ben Dooley when we were like, gone with the wind, this trend, we should talk about it. Let's call Steve. Done. Sure. Okay. So <laughs> unpack what we're seeing happen here, my friend. Yeah. So they, uh, HBO Max has pulled uh, the movie, uh, I guess, to give it a, a bit of a retooling, maybe to, to bring it back in a, in a more, uh, I mean, because this is a, a very racially sensitive time, um, uh, which I mean, the only, the first thing I thought right away is I'm like, now it's, un, it's totally uncontroversial for me to say I hate this movie. <laughs> right. You're totally I, I, allowed I, to hate it. I I really dislike this movie. It's bloated. It's boring. It's almost four hours long, Jody. Yeah, it's three hours. It has and an intermission. It is. I don't know. I, I I mean, like everyone's like, oh, this erases everything if you're taking this away. It erases the best supporting actress win for for uh, African American actress uh, Hattie McDaniel. Uh, but then I'm like, you unpack that further when she won the Oscar. She was at a segregated table way away from the rest of her cast members, way at the back yeah. when she won this. So it's not exactly a highlighting a great time as well. No, certainly not. So, and I hadn't seen until yesterday in, in doing some digging around. I hadn't seen, I think it was Yashar Ali on, on Twitter had posted the uh, the black and white footage uh, really choppy sort of newsy footage, film footage from when uh, Gone with the Wind premiered in Atlanta mm-hmm. and how it was celebrated. Because some would argue that the, it, it's a movie. It's a story written about a time. And yet all those decades later, when it was premiered, it was celebrated in the sense of celebrating the slave owners, the mm-hmm. the the... The grandeur of Atlanta, I guess, was the the air quotes that I it hit me like, wow, OK, I had no idea that piece of context, I think, is important because there are some certainly in the south in the United States who still sort of yearn for those old days. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially if you look at the footage that was taken from uh, Rome, Georgia, not yesterday, but the day before of uh, the Ku Klux Klan wa- marching through town square. Like it's, right. I mean, it's almost like it, you know, this does go back to the thirties. Like there's nothing changed. No, indeed. And it's, it's interesting. Cause when I watched gone with the wind, I'm trying to think about me as a kid consuming it for the first time. Cause for me, I was like, Oh, look horses. Oh, look, big dresses. Oh, look, you know, fancy girls that need to be tied into corsets and whatnot. And, and, you know, Oh, Ashley, and you know, get caught up in the love story. It wasn't until I was well into that movie as a child watching it going, wait a minute, these are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Like these, Ashley. these are actually, so there was a little bit of a, there was a little click, a learn there. Um, yeah. and, and, and if it's put into context, do you destroy this movie and what it has meant for the decades that it, it has lived as a quote unquote classic, or do you well, reframe it? Right. Well, th- that's the thing. I mean, if you, if you take it away, 
if you take it off the HBO Max, it still exists on Blu-ray. It still exists on DVD. It's not like Marty McFly fading out of a picture. It still exists. This movie is still out there. You can still get it. So the fact that HBO Max is making this decision to pull it and maybe revamp it in another place, that's their prerogative to make that decision based on on the backlash that they've received. I mean, this is not the only thing that's been pulled. They pulled Little Britain due to a blackface sketch. Netflix has now pulled Mighty Boosh due to a blackface sketch. Like, it, 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 it's not just extending to Gone with the Wind, but being the Gone with the Wind, anytime you think of movies or any, you know, it, that that's kind of like a quintessential movie. I mean, last year, heck, or even earlier this year, uh, Trump wanted this one, bring this one back so he could win the Academy Award because he was pissed off that uh, Parasite won Best Picture. So, I mean, it's still forefront in people's minds. Oh, my gosh. I just insert the head exploding emoji right there on your radio because I had totally forgotten about that. And yeah. you're absolutely right. He did invoke the where's gone with the wind, anyone? But you do make a really good point, Steve. I'm so glad that we're having you on today because just having HBO Max pull Gone with the Wind doesn't mean that Gone with the Wind has just landed in a pile of burning books. People no. might be overreacting to HBO Max pulling this this film when certainly you could watch it elsewhere. Yeah, I mean it, it doesn't it doesn't erase its point in history. It doesn't erase its popularity of the time. You still look back in the history books. That's not going to change. What a great opportunity for someone to do a documentary about all of what we've discussed at utilizing that footage from when this uh, film premiered and the pomp and circumstance around it, and yeah. then how it has sort of gone through decades of sort of just, you know, skating through as a classic. And then now, in just these past few short weeks, becomes such a flashpoint in yeah. U.S. specifically society. I think that that speaks volumes to where we are in terms of being pivotal in our content. Definitely. Uh, I, I just think it's unfortunate the movie like, say, Blazing Saddles is getting roped into the same conversation because I think Blazing Saddles actually pushes forward the conversation. It's used like like a certain like the fear of a black man. That is that is indelibly part of Blazing Saddles. And it just gives it more of a conversation. Gone in the Wind just kind of presents it and be like, that's the way it is. Right. Big Sam. You don't explain Big Sam. You don't explain <laughs> Mammy. You just nope. you just accept that that's their role, and, yeah. and it's interesting. It's interesting to to get the the concept of putting some historical framework to this moving forward, as this conversation mm. needs to happen. Like the awareness piece is valid.